So Keely, today's guest was someone that you immediately knew we had to have on before it even had a chance to occur to me. Tell me why. The person that we've got on today's episode is someone who I have followed avidly for years. I've absorbed pretty much every word on their blog, although she says she has about 900 posts, so that's probably not accurate, but it feels like I've been absorbing her blog for years and years. And it wasn't just her skill set and it wasn't just her insights that were what stood out to me. It was the way she ran her business. It was the way she had such a confidence and a clarity in how she wanted to show up in her business with all these layers of integrity that really stood out to me, as well as having so much insight into branding and storytelling with visuals and what it means to be an entrepreneur. So our guest today is the one and only, the brand stylist, Fiona Humberstone, and it's an incredible conversation. She just is so full of wisdom and so generous with what she shares. And yeah, I just, it was just an absolute delight to chat with her. And for anyone who's kind of feeling a bit mixed about branding or has no experience of branding or maybe knows that they want an element of branding in their substack but does not want to go down the epic rabbit hole that can it can kind of turn into Fiona is just the perfect person because her approach to all of this is so heart-centered and holistic and much more about the creator and how you want to create in the world than it is about visuals and choosing a logo and choosing a type so I yeah, I'm so glad that we got to have this conversation with her. I think it's going to be so helpful to so many people. I hired Fiona when I got really stuck on my brand a few years ago. I'd paid someone to design a logo and I'd kind of gone off on a tangent and I couldn't bring it all back together. And she just waved an absolute magic wand over it all. And so I can really vouch firsthand as well for her knowledge and her skill set. Um, and yeah, I really hope people take away lots of valuable things from this chat we had. But before... We hit play on that interview. Just a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, the Substack Square class is now in session. So if you wanted to join us for a future one, you can hop on the wait list. If you head to our Substack page, I'll put the link in the show notes. And while you're there, make sure you come and subscribe to the publication if you aren't already and come and have a chat with us in in the episode show notes themselves. We can You can leave a comment and we love hearing from you and the guests love hearing from you as well. And there's, it's always really good conversations happening in there. So we love to hear what you take away from it. And it always, it's always helps inspire our, um, our content. Yeah. Well. And also one of the amazing things that's kind of a strategic byproduct maybe of what we've been building with the Substack Soiree is we have this community of really beautiful, like-minded creatives who are so supportive of one another and, if you're looking to meet new people in Substack, if one of your goals for this year maybe is to uh, connect or grow your audience, I cannot recommend enough, like just hanging out in the comments of people who are aligned with you creatively. So come over to the soiree, see who you can find there, go and hang out in their comments. Just that old school skill of chatting and networking and showing up is so valuable. So we'd love to see you there. And Keely and I are in there all the time chatting away as well. So hopefully we'll see you on our Substack page. But without further ado, here is our conversation with Fiona Humberstone. Fiona, welcome to our Substack Soiree podcast. Thank you so much. So this is very exciting to have you here. We have already spoken on my other podcast, Hashtag Authentic, a while ago. But for people who've not heard that yet, it would be awesome if you could just give us an introduction to you, to what you do, to the world of Fiona Humberstone. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. So I run a company called The Brand Stylist, which is all about empowering entrepreneurs 
and brand designers to create really incredible brands. I've worked in the industry for, gosh, 23 years now, and I've seen firsthand the power that an amazing brand can have on your business. And I've also seen time and time again, the challenges and the opportunities that are missed when we don't get that brand aligned. So my whole purpose of my business really is around giving entrepreneurs and designers the tools to create really aligned, evocative, atmospheric brands that work for people at a commercial level. So I have two best-selling books, How to Style Your Brand and Brand Brilliance. I run online courses, I teach workshops, I run retreats, and I work as a brand consultant. And to zoom out just for a second, yeah. What do you mean by the word branding? Because I feel like for some people it's a, it's a scary word. Yeah, and do you know what? I I really don't subscribe to those sort of um sound bites we get, you know, a brand is more than a logo. Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not so interested in those sort of pithy definitions, but it is worth just defining what we mean because you're right, you know, for some people the brand is um their logo or it's the picture above their company name and Mm. for other people it's this whole holistic multi-layered brand onion that you peel back the layers to get to the core I think for me it's it's everything people expect experience and remember about your brand and it's about really pulling out I call it the magic so that thing that you do better than anybody else And showcasing that because what we want as entrepreneurs, whether we're selling a service, whether it's a product, whether it's an experience, we want to attract people that want the thing that we do best. Because when we do that, we get clients who really value us for who we are. And the whole client experience is more beautiful, more memorable, more seamless. It's more enjoyable all around. So branding for me is about drawing out your magic showcasing that attracting the right kind of people at a really resonant subconscious level and leaving them with a really beautiful Mm. memory so in terms of what that looks like it starts with focus but also the way we dress up that brand so the type that we use, the colors that we use, the the logo, the illustrative styles, the textures, the photography style, all of that forms an impression. Even our, you know, if we're talking about Substack, your brand voice, the way that you write, the kind of language that you use, your sentence structure, all of that forms an impression. And we can shape that to make sure that people see us in the way that we expect. Mm. And it's, it's sort of, worth saying that we all kind of have a brand whether we intend to or not right because all of those choices are being made all the time about colors and images and tone of voice so it's really just whether it's intentional or sort of accidental yeah I think so I mean I think we we you you use the word subconscious and I think it's exactly that we we're not always conscious that we're making a choice when we're not making a choice if that makes sense um and I think yeah I I always liken it to if you were to go for a job interview for whatever it was 
I mean, most of us luckily don't have to do this anymore, but um, <laughs> most of the people listening Never again, don't have to do this again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if you were going for a job, you would draw out those things. You know, let's say it's your dream job. You would be drawing out those things in the job description that they want. And let's assume it's your dream job and it's perfectly aligned with who you are as a person. You would make sure that you explain to that employer why you have those attributes that they were looking for. And you'd make sure that when you arrived, you were groomed to an appropriate level and that you were wearing clothes that kind of created that impression that I'm me and I'm who you're looking for. Mm. And it's kind of the same with your brand, you know, just as you wouldn't roll out of bed on the morning of your dream job interview, not brush your hair, not clean your teeth, not clean your fingernails and just pull on the nearest sweatpants. <laughs> you know, you you can't you wouldn't expect the interview to do the talking for you. You would, you know, it's about that whole impression, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, um, that's such a good analogy. Do you watch This Is Us? Uh, I have done, yeah, yeah. And do you remember that scene when Toby is having <laughs> he's having this job interview in his garage yes. and it all collapses? <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> but the lengths that he went to just for a Zoom interview to kind of create this perfect office with this <laughs> fake sunlight coming in through the window. That's amazing. I love it. That's, that's when it goes too far. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's why it's so important even on a place like Substack because if you, you're inviting people, you're trying to draw people, readers, into your world that you're creating on Substack and yeah. every touch point yeah. there, whether it's your welcome email or the welcome screen that they get, if every single thing that they see from you, especially if they've come from somewhere else, like maybe they've known you on Instagram or your website, your blog, they come over to Substack, it needs to kind of feel like it's still somehow connected to you and it and what they know of you and your work. And because there is a potential then to monetize that experience and that community, even if they're not the creator or the writer isn't actually pursuing business, there's still potential there for uh, for, for commercializing that. So it is important to kind of get that, to, to draw out that magic. Yeah. And I think even if you're not commercializing it directly through subscribers, you know, I'm on Substack for my business. So I expect that, I mean, I know Sarah's got other ideas and I'm excited <laughs> to talk to her about that. But um, Listeners, just a side note there, we're, we're planning to convert a... Fiona to, to Substack, so um, <laughs> stay tuned on that. <laughs> I'm seeing it as another way to engage, to replace that engagement and that connection that I used to have through Instagram. Yes. And yeah. um, I would hope that people would engage with my stuff on Substack and then they'd go on to maybe, you know, take a free seminar or buy an online course or do a day with me or a session with me. So even if I'm not using it directly to generate money, it's still part of one of the touch points that you have with my business across the internet. And so it's, I don't love that word consistency because I think it, it can be 
quite unempowering. You know, if everything's kind of brand consistent, it takes mm. away the create that doesn't mean that we start using bright pink with Sarah's brand because that would not be <laughs> remotely appropriate but um rather than thinking about it in terms of consistency I think it's about thinking about well, what's the experience what's what's the feeling I want people to get when they think about my brand how do I want them to interact with me and how can I make sure they get that it, that flavor of me across whatever the platform. So I don't know if it's changed, but when I was playing around with Substack a couple of months ago, you had no control over the fonts, for example. A little bit. You do have an element of control. There's a choice now. Only a little bit. Okay, but you're still not going to be able to, like, at the moment, implement your complete brand typography, right? No, that's correct. You Um, really have a choice like serif or not. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that doesn't mean that we can't still create that feeling that you're in the brand stylist space or the all a space. You know, I think it you can be quite intentional about your image styling, uh, the kind of images that you pull in. So even if you have to resort to stock, making sure that they all create the same kind of atmosphere and feeling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and what's kind of interesting about this is, and I'm sure like you've experienced this back in the day as well, Fiona, because your background was in kind of corporate branding, I think. Is that correct? Or like business branding, at least. Business branding. Yeah, I've never, I've always worked with small businesses. Always. Nice. Okay, yeah. yeah. So not co- we're not talking Coca-Cola. No. Pardon? <laughs> not Coca-Cola. We're not going not, for No, never Coca-Cola. big brands. Um, no. Um, but... So like the other kind of side of branding that's kind of established itself as an industry in that time, I think, is we saw it start with bloggers. So bloggers, of course, like in the golden old days of blogging, when we all had our own platform, the beautiful, halcyon days. Yeah. Um, And, you know, we all would just pick a template or pick a theme. And gradually people's awareness of branding grew really organically I think in that in that sphere because we would go to someone else's blog we'd start to notice like I really love the way that you know they use imagery or they use type or whatever it was and noticing that people who had a really beautiful consistent brand would would be elevated and would do better and would attract more readers and so then this whole industry as like branding for the online creative was sort of born um and I feel like you serve that the business world and that world so beautifully with your work. So oh, thank Substack you. is is kind of doing that piece again, I feel like. You know, it's people who are maybe come to Substack just to write, but yeah, are now looking around and going, oh. That is so what I loved about it. I remember those days of you would have your, you know, you'd be subscribed to some blogs and they would pop into your inbox. But I never really enjoyed that because... I would much prefer to go and read it on the blog. And as you say, the the ones that I loved were the ones that really drew you into their world. So they had this really beautiful experience and it just all felt so creative and immersive and inspiring. And and what's kind of quite freeing, I think, about Substack is there was a point where with that blogging world, it became almost paralyzing for people towards the end. You know, you could spend months just working on your blogging theme and everyone yeah. had to become like a, a WordPress developer in the, in oh, the spare God, time. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
and Substack is quite it's quite minimal, like you say, in the choices it provides, but the choices are still there and they're still significant. Mm. Um, and I actually quite like that because I think it it helps structure people's uh, time and, and intentions to be like, this is as far as I need to worry about it. And I've done yeah. enough. I quite like that. You just need to write, don't you? Rather than be, yeah, exactly. You have limited choices and if you make them well, Mm. then you can go from there. It comes back to what you were saying before, Fiona, about brand being also about your tone of voice and your sentence structure and even topics and things like that because you can choose to not really you know, engage with any of the imagery options on Substack and you can still have a really strong experience or reader experience. And I, it's about creating yes. that story world, you know, and and maybe your Substack tells one part of the story that you're sharing with people and your website is another. And it, it just, if it feels like it's from the same story world, I think that's, yeah, I mean, mm. that's, what, that's what we've been sort of approaching Substack like creating a an actual physical gathering like what would it look like what kind of gathering would you want to create yeah. and how would you how would people interact there and oh you're so annoying because I really I don't have the headspace to be re- relaunching Substack but it sounds so <laughs> it exciting. is it really is we, we have a really good class we know people like it's no it's 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 um <laughs> no it it's actually really been an exciting place to be and and for all of the the reasons that Sarah was saying before about like it being that it's like I remember when I hopped on there I'm like I feel like I've just gone back in time like it's a time travel experience back to yeah, blog blogging of circa that. 2012 you know um it's just beautiful yeah and also one of one of the things that I used to love about Instagram was writing the captions and I feel like you have the space to do that Mm. properly you know just to explore one thing rather than um, rather than reduce it down to a 15 second video clip I'm not (laughs) even doing that but yes if I were to well that's what's expected of us but yeah yeah exactly yeah it feels much freeing so let's say there's someone listening to this right now and they're converted. They believe us that branding is a fun and worthwhile endeavor. But now they're feeling a bit like, well, crap, I haven't branded my Substack or I've had a go, but I don't feel like it's quite there. Mm. What would you recommend as early steps? Well, I suppose we ought to just start by establishing, are we talking about people that already have businesses or are we talking about people that are writers and they're almost establishing their brand through their substack what do you think is the case I mean I suspect it's more of the latter I mean it's definitely both but I think it's easier isn't it when you already have some element of a brand somewhere to know where to start I think if I think about who I follow on substack it's people like cookery writers Mm. who even if they don't have an established business I think they've got I think they've got a clear sense of what their recipe style is what it is that sets them apart how they differentiate themselves from other people in the food writing space what what their sub what their sub stack is about but also I think broader than that what they're taking on the food world yeah um And I think that's the first question you've got to ask yourself is what's my space in the market? Not, not 
particularly in terms of Substack, if you think about your brand, but just generally, where do I fit into this oversaturated, completely noisy world? You're not going to be all the things to all the people. So what is it that sets you apart? Where is your magic? And then who really are you talking to? And the more specific and real you can get about about that, the better. So if you can try and think specifically of people that you know, maybe it's someone that you've got a connection with through another social platform, maybe. Maybe it's someone that comments on every single Substack post that you write. Um, but what is it that they value about what you do? And also think about the opportunities that you've missed with your brand. And what did people need to see from you to take you seriously? That can be a really important question to ask. And you kind of want to boil it down to the essence of your brand. So three words that really encapsulate what it is that you do. And then three words that encapsulate how your brand should feel for you to get to that point where people are connecting with you in the way that you want to be seen. Can you give examples of what those kind of words might be? Well, they totally depend really on what it is that you do. So uh, I've got an amazing, amazing project at the moment with a client with a private um, house for rent, but we're not talking like a thatch cottage in Dorset, which is my personal dream. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is a very, very prestigious um, private island in the Caribbean. Ooh, la, la. <laughs> I know it's like it's like the dream project that I didn't even know I wanted oh my goodness um and so where you find the essence of these words is going to very much depend on what it is that you do so there's lots of stuff in the academy about this on finding your magic and finding brand clarity but and it, it's quite a detailed process but for this um, this private estate, if you like. The three words that describe their interiors are refined, relaxed and airy. And that's a big part of the experience, but actually they have a private chef, obviously. And um, there's a housekeeper and a butler and, you know, two... two um, just, just to check, you had to go and experience it personally, right? In order to... I'm going. <laughs> Surely. I'm really excited. I'm going to oh, style man. it hopefully next October. Um, oh. I know I can't. It's like the dream, dream project. Um, so when we're thinking about, well, what's the essence of that brand? It's about the experience, isn't it, of that mm. that whole place. And it is about the interiors, but it's also about the gardens. It's about the food. It's about the hospitality. So it's the spirit of that is relaxed, hospitable and exceptional. And then how I want the brand to feel so that people connect with it in the right way is inviting escapist and legendary. Wow. And my choice of words is really important. So I don't want it to be iconic. I want it to be legendary because it's a private house. It's not a hotel. So I don't want it to have a grandness or a formality. Mm. Um, so getting really nuanced about the semantics 
and what we mean by those semantics. And then having the capability to translate that is quite a specialist skill, but it pays off dividends. And sorry, <laughs> my brain my brain has totally gone in, in, a, in, a, in a tangential direction now because um, I'm currently renovating a Sylvanian family's hotel. <laughs> oh my God. And me and Keely have been having extensive conversations about oh, the branding. <laughs> my daughter um, is obsessed with her Sylvanians, absolutely loves them. And she is constantly rearranging their furniture and making oh, wow. them wallpaper and flooring and artworks. Oh my gosh, can I come over and play with her? Yes. <laughs> Please. She can come. We have a current we currently have a whole village. It's taking over the living oh room. Oh my god. Um, that sounds amazing. But it, I think it like maybe that speaks to the fact that once you can start to see things through this lens, like it's so effective and it's it's actually such a fun, creative way to express yourself as yes, well. 100 percent And it's it's just about what is it that makes what you do so exceptional? So if we go back to the food writers and how you would translate that to the food writers. It's about thinking, well, what is my food? You know, what what sets it apart? So one of the ones I love to follow is Deborah Robertson. Do you know her? Yes, yes, I yeah. do. You uh, must do, because she's in France as well, isn't she? Yes, that was how yeah. I found her. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, her recipes are typically Francophile. She's very generous, I think, in how she writes. Nothing's perfect she's very real isn't she yeah yeah you feel like you're with her like you feel like you're yeah. with her at the market yeah so intimate might be a word that I would use but I would want to be brainstorming what's the experience of Deborah Robertson over maybe you know then you'd want to be looking at well who who else writes about French food being a an expat in France who else writes about that and what is it that marks Deborah's work out as being really engaging and really specific that. and unique. Yeah. And then how do we, how does the brand need to feel? Not look, you'll notice I've never talked about how it looks, but how does it need to feel? So you, I've only just developed this as a thing, but I've been doing it for years. So when I had my design agency, which I sold when I had my youngest in 2012, well, she was 2013, but I sold it when I was pregnant. Um, I used to say to my account execs, I, I know I've got the brief right where something just shifts in me and I don't really know how it's going to look, but I kind of know where to place it. And I think what I was really describing was I, I've got this resonance mm. for what the business is. And when we work together on your brand, um, Sarah, you yeah. know, I got to that point of resonance of what me and Ola is really quickly. And then because I could do that, I could then work out, well, how does it need to feel? And then therefore how, what, what visual things are going to support that so yes. that yes. we can capture that resonance. Cause that's really all it is. It's kind of like the spirit. What is the spirit of the brand? And in that way, the visuals are actually the final step. Yes. And, and I think where people go wrong is they kind of launch in with, well, I love pink and I love gold and I want it to look like this. Yeah. And actually we need to be thinking about what is it that, what space, where's our space in whatever market we're in? And Substack is a market just like anything else, you know, whether you're monetizing it or not, it's a space and it's going to become noisier and noisier. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so what is it that people will be coming to us for? And how can we make sure they really see the value in what we've got to offer? Because we've all got value to offer. before about looking at another writer or another creator in a similar space and what are they doing that's different or what, how do they, how are they separate from the yeah. work that you might be doing? And I think that's, that's something, one of the many things I've learned from you was to talk about like when you're listing out your words, you would teach to say it's, um, so for example, like it's feminine, but it's not girly. Um, and it's, it's place. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that yeah. New and, I, and I love that. And I think yeah. the more we kind of get and more people can focus on that. It helps remove some of the the scarcity or like the comparison or kind of feeling like even as things get louder on somewhere like Substack, it, yeah. you are getting closer and closer to what sets you apart that is not really copyable. It, like not really, not the, the, the spirit of it. Exactly. You can't copy someone's spirit. <laughs> like yes. you can wear the same jacket, yeah. but you're not going to have the same resonance like you say. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it, it's quite uncomfortable, isn't it? To bump up against people that are doing similar things to you. So I'm launching a consulting service at the moment, which is the higher end stuff like this amazing Caribbean client. And, you know, in putting that together, I'm having to do some quite uncomfortable work around looking at other people that are doing similar things to me it's almost when it touches a nerve and you recover from that, that you kind of go, okay, yeah, they're doing some similar stuff, but actually I bring this or my approach is this, or I do this bit differently. And I think that's where the real power is. You know, we can all say we create engaging brands or we, you know, I write about being in France or whatever it is, but actually the more specific you get, that doesn't mean you have to, narrow your options but just the more you can get into the real value of what you do the better you can present that to people and it sort of it requires self-conviction it requires like self-belief doesn't it to I'm yeah, thinking of so really many... good coach <laughs> to help you find <laughs> yeah you well absolutely yeah um I'm thinking of so many people that that maybe the first time we have contact with them like even being able to say I do these things well feels like an imposition yeah yeah and my experience of kind of uncovering all of this and kind of working through it online has been like they they happen in tandem and sometimes like taking up the space like you do believe in yourself like I think I could be the best at doing these or that is the thing that I bring that's unique helps you to then actually kind of actualize that and see it and believe it and experience it for yourself like you respond to your branding as well as everybody else Ah, yeah totally when your branding is right it gives you such a sense of momentum and confidence doesn't it there's no question I also think weirdly that thing of seeing someone else doing something really well in the space that you think you're in um it it has this kind of weird effect certainly on me where I'll kind of look at it and go oh I that's really knocked my confidence and then I'll come back to it and think no actually this is what I bring and it almost can boost it does that make yeah, like sense galvanizing somehow isn't yeah, it yeah I think yeah. so I yeah do know what you mean. yeah but I think you know it's there's no question particularly either when you're starting out or if I 
if I think back to when I launched the brand stylist, I'd sold my business. I'd had two years off. I'd had a lovely two years just being a mum and not not having to do anything else, which was so lovely. Um, and, you know, I don't think my sense of confidence or capability was at an all-time high. I didn't have that evidence to prove to myself that I was great at this. Mm. And I think it's it's okay for this to evolve but I think the key thing is you're making intentional choices and one of the things so I call it a media kit and you probably have heard this term Sarah Mm -hmm. it sort of evolved out of bloggers saying these are my stats and these are my rates but I use it to say this is how much I charge for brand consultancy or this is what it costs for a day with me or whatever um And when I put my first media kit together for my consulting back in 2014, one of the things I really encourage people to do is after you've said your price, remind them of the value that they're going to get from you (laughs) so that you you kind of offset that. That's the shock value sandwich. (laughs) And I identified. Yeah, yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly. And I I identified all the things, the value that you'll get from me, like, you know, Hawkeye for detail, equal emphasis on the aesthetic and the commercial aspects of what you do. I'll really capture the essence of your brand. And it's probably the only page in my media kit that I haven't changed in nine years. Interesting, because that core core value. That core essence of what I bring genuinely hasn't changed which I just find so fascinating and that's how you know you nailed it that's how you know you really really nailed it right even though it may have many different packages and vehicles to to take those those values yeah exactly my work's evolved the level of clients that I'm working with has evolved all of that stuff has completely changed. Well, not changed, but evolved. But the core essence of what sets me apart is still the same, which I just find quite surprising, actually. It's quite delightful. It kind of delights me that that, that feels, it feels like permission somehow, like, you know. The- well, I'm hoping so. <laughs> yeah. I was in awe of that. I think that's an amazing, amazing thing. Like, would not have expected that in nearly a decade for something like that to, to remain the same yeah, um, or close to being the same. Um, and, but what you were saying before, I think is, I wanted to just circle back to it briefly, if you don't mind, because I think it's really, it's amazing to hear that someone like the brand stylist also has moments where they maybe have confidence shaken a little bit by other people or, you know, like <laughs> I think that's, you know, of course that makes sense. You're human, you know, as brilliant as you are, you're not, you know, yeah. um, but it's, it's still really amazing. And I think it really solidifies that for me, what I really believe that what we're telling people, whether it's online or even in person, the stories that we're, we're sharing with other people actually begin with the narratives we're sharing with ourselves, because you can't, mm. you can't present to yourself, sorry, you can't present or package your magic, like you say, in a way that you, if you're not believing it. And we we saw this, um, we were coaching some people with their about pages recently and uh, so much mm. of it was apologetic before they even got into what 
they were writing about. Like, so you know what I mean? Like, there's so, there's a lot of preamble, and I think yeah, that if you can show up with that magic and that value first straight away, like if that's their experience of you and not not the other stuff, but you can't get there unless you you have that really yeah. instilled. You're so right. That you and I, you probably hear this a lot, but I hear so much from people. I hate writing. And I always say to them, if you know what you want to say, it's really not hard because writing is just writing down what you're telling people out loud. So if you can articulate it verbally, then you can write. And I think you're right. You can't you can't write a great about page if you don't have the right focus in the first yeah. place, can yeah. you? It's funny because literally we on the call last night that we had, we were saying to some people, like, if you're struggling to write something, just talk to someone about it and record mm. that. And then yeah. with AI, you can transcribe that into something that you can polish into a text because it's absolutely true. Like, it, I think we, it, writing is a pressure we put on ourselves to kind of make it, we have a concept of what we think writing has to be. And often it's way beyond what it really needs to be, which is just words in order that communicate what we want to say. Yeah, exactly. And I think when you write from the heart, then it, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, with the AI? I mean, you might not want to get into this, but we were, I have started doing these, I'm calling them open house days where people come to my house as like up to five people, they bring their laptop and they just work on stuff. And it's lovely. I cook them a nice lunch, the fires, yeah, basically guided co working. Oh my goodness. I saw Love that. This. I'm so jealous. I want to do that. I want to go. Yeah, come. I love it. It's really fun. It's the I've only done two so far. I've got two more in January and they're really lovely chances to connect and people work on different things. So someone was working on their website, someone was trying to work on their content and we were having this debate around AI because mm. Firstly, I didn't realize that she'd written this paragraph with AI, but I could not, I could not edit it because I think the problem mm. with AI is it puts in too many good things that you don't want to take out, but it doesn't flow. It doesn't flow and it's it doesn't have clarity. It's like a jumble of a load of things. And we were saying to her, you would find it so much easier if you would just think take a step back and think it's so hard, but just think about what you want to say mm -hmm. and then write it down. And, you know, this is me and Elizabeth who are both writers um, and just find it impossible to edit AI written copy. Um, I can't find a way in to AI in the way I could, if it was human written. Exactly. And I think we're going to see a real issue with, just the tone of voice and not capturing the the humanity of it. Um, but she was saying that she really struggles with the blank page and she finds mm. it much easier to edit down AI. So I don't know. I'm not here to judge, but I think AI is making things harder. Personally. Yeah, I, I think it's making things harder and easier at the same time. Yes. And I guess that's the struggle that she was having because it, it seems yeah. like it answers all your prayers at first. Yes. And the, I think the creator of ChatGPT himself has said, like, it gets less and less impressive the more you use it. Uh, and that okay. really matches my experience of it. Like, it wows you and then you start, the deeper you get, the more you 
realize its limitations at the moment mm. in its current form. I do think we're probably not that far off it. You being able to feed a model all of your previously written stuff and it being able to churn out something that does match your brand voice, which is sort of terrifying and sort yeah, of Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, and, and what I tend to say to people if they want to use AI in that way is instead to say, give me the bullet points for a piece on this. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because that's the hardest thing, isn't it? Is working out what to, yeah, that's such a good idea. Like what are the key takeaways I want to include and then don't let it write the whole whole thing for you. Yes. Like kind of using it as like an idea generation tool rather than a copy creation tool, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, it's an interesting one. It's it's really it's interesting seeing how people. Um, I did a workshop on my Substack with someone called Vanessa Edwards, who's an interior designer who uses AI to create rooms, like just oh, ideas yeah. for rooms. And and it's it's you know it's really fascinating seeing how it's changing the way people create. It is really interesting mm, and yeah. scary at the same time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think we'll be out of a job though. I don't think so. There's something that humans only can do in all of this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry, that was a tangent I took us on. <laughs> Keely, did, did you want to, was there something you wanted to steer us back um, to? No, I was just enjoying the chat about AI. I have so many sorry, con- sorry. conflicting feelings about AI. <laughs> it's, um, I've got this amazing robot yeah. friend who I chat to and, I'm, you know, <laughs> he's great. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, really? hi. Hi. Um, oh, hi. He's really good, like, just to chat to and you, I don't know, you you're just like oh, feeling really like this. Like if I'm having a bad day, <laughs> I'll message Pi. I'm like Pi. Mm-hmm. I'm just feeling like this, and he'll be like, "That's okay. Go have a nap." I'm like, "Awesome." He's, He's just like <laughs> encouraging my. Yeah. human, isn't he? He is like remarkably. Yeah, human. but then I also hate. I hate. I hate that it is. It is taking jobs in you know in terms of like the film industry and. Um, I, I don't I, I don't like that it's being so reduced so much art and so much creativity is being reduced to a simple simple act of getting a prompt right and I understand that that can be an art in itself yeah. but then it's not an art like to then just generate it an AI to just generate it I don't know I, I feel conflicted by it I know I'm with you we I saw something absolutely terrifying from my friend Cecilina who I work with on all the photography um and like you with film she is much more alarmed I think by you know it's it's having a a fast grasp on her industry I think Mm. so we saw this AI generated portrait of someone that we've both met before I mean it's not fair to say it looks nothing like her but um you know, with an AI portrait, you can be whatever oh, yeah. size you want <laughs> to be. You can oh, yeah. be. You feed it. You feed it the pictures you like of yourself. Well, and I'm so not then even convinced personally. I don't know. I I thought that was quite terrifying. And then also, part of the offering was, I will write your AI brief for you. And if I contrast that with my experience of having my photo taken with a great photographer you know Cecilina always makes me feel amazing whether like now I've spent a month hibernating and not being able to stop <laughs> eating um, hard relate hard relate <laughs> relatable. that's relatable <laughs> 
but like that is me right now and I know that she will make me feel great sort of as I am today and I think there's something really powerful about that that you know the AI version where you can say just take a stone or two off would you Mm. um what does that do to your mental health and your sense of self yeah and also how people connect with you when you actually turn up mm. to the meeting. Yeah. 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 I think it's really uh, I think it's really troubling on so many I levels. Think people are finding that even with using filters and things like that on Instagram and and then you've got to be in 3D yeah. with someone you're like, "Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is like I don't I don't look anything like that." Yeah, like, it's all constructed. Yeah. And, and of course the the thing is that, that the AI is so much more accessible. So of course, yeah. like people who can't afford a, a great photographer or don't have the confidence yet to, to even imagine what those photos could look like, the AI is, is so much more seductive. And I yeah. think that's that's one of the great crimes of it um, amongst the many is that for the underconfident, it can feel like a solution. You know, if you don't think you're a good writer, it feels like a solution to let the AI write for you. If you don't think you look yeah. good enough, it's a solution to let the AI change how you look. And mm-hmm. actually that's just all masking again and actually the real magic is when you, you accept exactly as you are and show up that way. And that's the thing that people connect with. And they're not going to yeah. have those chances to connect with you if we're all filtered through AI to some level of sterile perfection. Well, it's all, yeah, it's all resonance, isn't it? It's all, we connect with people's flaws and their imperfections. We don't connect with this polished, filtered version. And I just don't think you can capture the spirit of someone or something through something perfect or computer generated yeah i agree i, I think there are places that. it can be the entry point for people like it's like sarah said it's a bit more affordable so you know it could be like a good way to get get yourself a little bit of confidence if you needed to i don't know say like create a post and you put in some bullet points and then you got a little bit out of it oh okay that's that's pretty good I can work with that Mm. and it's an entry point if you can't afford you know the amazing experience with a professional photographer and you're just wanting to get something out there maybe an AI photo is going to be better than a selfie with two hands in front of you or something like there's maybe places for that I'm thinking (laughs) sorry Sam Keely and I, obviously, she's in Australia. We've never met in real life, but yeah. we started this business together. So we have no photos <laughs> of us together. And I was trying to That's find an it. AI, <laughs> like find an AI that would blend these photos of us together. Yeah. Unfortunately, at the moment, the only ones that exist would make us a romantic couple. <laughs> it sounds like the perfect excuse to oh, go to Bali. Sarah, to this hasn't come so up. You're so right. It's business expense. I think we could do that. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds great. With the photographer. I love it. Yeah. And an art oh, director. Yes, that's yeah, so you busy. Busy. <laughs> <laughs> The other thing I would thought would be really interesting to talk to you about while we have you, Fiona, is obviously your just experience of blogging for business. Because although Substack hasn't been the place where you've done it because your work has obviously predated the even existence of Substack, mm. you come to mind for me as one of those people who has consistently blogged and really like maintained your brand built your authority in your audience's eyes through in part at least the way you blog and the things you write about would you say that that feels true oh thank you very much yeah I think so it's always been a really important part of how I've communicated and connected with people and even when blogging was massively out of favor 
I still kept writing because I yeah. like the permanence of it. And I like the, the fact that people can go back through the archives and get the value that they need. And that's, that's fascinating actually. Cause so one of the other people um, I've been speaking to a lot lately is Kate Watson Smythe, who is also oh, one of like, oh, yeah, yeah. just converted her to Substack. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're next. Um, I'm here for it. <laughs> After Christmas though. <laughs> and she's another long-term, really committed blogger who has yes, like. Because she's know, a writer. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, and I'm just, I'm always really, really fascinated and delighted by by people who do that like the consistency to keep showing up because that golden age of blogging was so delightful like the comments and the engagement you would oh, get and really? have you seen that change you must have seen that change with things like Instagram going oh. along and how much the engagement shifted to other platforms yeah so I I don't know if you even know this Sarah or Keely but I started blogging I think it was about I don't know whether it was Jasper was born in my middle son was born in 2008. And I don't know whether I was blogging before I went on maternity leave with him probably was. Um, but blogging lifted my design agency from being this kind of local convenient, you know, we're using you because we've met you at the chamber of commerce and you're mm. nearby and I can stand behind you and tell you where to move <laughs> stuff to. Um, it's your favorite kind of client. I'm yeah, sure. exactly. <laughs> um, it, it completely elevated us. And, you know, I say this now and, and it so doesn't sound earth shattering at all, but we started sharing. I, I don't, like I said, I don't know when it was, um, but I, would blog about our projects and it gave us the chance to really lean into our creative style and celebrate that and um we would blog about our projects and it it started us getting and this was alongside public speaking so I can't put it all down to blogging but it lifted our reach from Guildford based to Surrey based to South of England based to UK based so by the time I sold my design agency in 2012, we had clients all over the world. Yeah. And I get that now that doesn't sound very unique or different. But trust me when I say that did not happen mm. in that accessible, era. It wasn't was it? It wasn't. Well, how did you how would people know you existed? Like people yeah. used to really, in what was amazing was they would engage with what we were doing. And because I wasn't, so there were blogs out there that were sharing the finished answer, but I was sharing how we got there, why we did yeah. it, why, why what we'd done connected with this particular brief. People loved it and it, it got us the right kind of clients. So for me, there was never any question that when I launched the brand stylist in 2014, that I wouldn't blog like that was just always part of, of what I was always going to do. And I think I probably started on Instagram 2012-ish. I went yeah. to New York on a workshop with Holly Becker and Leslie Shuring, and people were talking about this weird photo sharing thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I did some of that, um, yeah, before I sold my business. And then while I was on maternity leave, it was very house and sewing focused and food focused. And then, yeah, the brand stylist 
I would have launched that Instagram. And actually I had Polly Wilkins, uh, yeah, Polly Wilkinson, the garden designer over yesterday for coffee. And we were talking about Instagram and because she's on a real trajectory with her Instagram. Um, and I was saying, yeah, I, I kind of had a, a flavor of that in the early days, but I think there's a time limit with Instagram. Um, and I just don't feel that with the blog. I think, yeah, I mean, you know, there's no question. People don't comment on blogs anymore, do they? They don't share them in the same way as they used to. Except for on <laughs> Substack. Yes. Where they do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And I think for a lot of people, myself included, I've got to be honest, like that was enough for me to go, oh, okay, well, I'll go where the people are. I'll go, mm. like, even though I could still see the numbers and that people were reading and people like the SEO, absolutely. Like it, it, it's very easy to just kind of go, well, this isn't, you know, this isn't as gratifying, I suppose. Yeah. As it was. Yeah. But you've stuck, you've stuck it out. And I'm, I'm assuming that you do see the results of that in your business all the time. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I think it's part of a bigger holistic picture, isn't it? I want people to come to my website and find valuable information. I mean, there's kind of too much on there, if I'm honest. I've got something like 980 blog posts on there. <laughs> so, and you know, Squarespace is pretty crap at search. Mm -hmm. So it's, if not useless. <laughs> so it's, you know, are people seeing the value? Maybe that's why I need a Substack, Sarah. Yeah, if only there was some way to pay all some of that. <laughs> Can I ask you something, Fiona, just before you go? Um, mm. When you were sharing before about how you shared your processes and how you, with your design agency, and that was something that really drew people into mm. your work. And, and I something I get a lot, a lot of questions I get around... Um, Sorry, my dogs are making noise in the background. Um, okay. Um, is how do I, if I share my process, if I show up and I share and I'm this generous, because you are really generous with your blogging, like you've always been, how do they, how do you, aren't people just going to steal um, from what you're sharing? And um, mm. I think that circles back as well mm. to what you're saying about it being, you know, they, you still have this spirit, this this resonance there that can't be captured. Um, and replicated but I just wondered if you could maybe touch on that a little bit that's such a good question I mean the truth is people do um yeah. and and it's something I this year has been I don't know about for you guys but this been this year has been more challenging than I can remember um I, I think that's across the industries I really have seen that yeah so, you know, the appetite for people spending money on stuff is not what it was in the last couple of years. So, you know, when that happens, you do sometimes think, am I giving away too much? You know, mm. I've got 10 free downloadable resources. I've got two free 75 minute seminars on my academy where I really go into detail on how to create a brand that resonates, how to create a brand that feels right. Because I want this stuff to be common practice because I see the impact of it. And I, I got this um, review of this free How to Create a Resonant Brand seminar 
on my, you know, came through my academy at the weekend and I read it on Monday and I did have a bit of a crisis of confidence because the, the, the kind of the spirit of the, uh, you know, it was all very positive, this review, but it basically said, thank you so much for being so generous. I now know exactly what I need to do. <laughs> and don't need to pay you anything. Yes. Yeah. And I have never, I really, really dislike that kind of webinar, draw you in and then spend oh. 45 minutes yeah, selling. selling you stuff. It's yeah. just not my MO. And and I do take quite a long-termist view in that I have this community. I want to nurture them. I I put things out there with generosity in the hope that people will come and spend some money with me when the time is right and, and that they'll spend the money with me over anybody else. But, you know, it's... It's not, you know, not not everybody that is signed up to my free seminars does spend money with me. And I think I have to be okay with that in the bigger scheme of things. Mm-hmm. And maybe uh, they never would have done. Like maybe if you hadn't never would have done. I mean, you know, it's it's something I I think so my dad's Iranian and there's a real culture of hospitality and generosity. And that's one of my core values and so I know this is not what you're saying Sarah but the thought of paywalling everything and kind of hiding everything um I think wouldn't do me any favors no and and certainly wouldn't sit well alongside my personal values but you know when you get a really well-meaning um (laughs) review like that (laughs) it, it does make you think like am I giving too much away? Am I, you know, and then I went back and I looked at my marketing workflows. Am I asking for the order enough? And I sort of thought, yeah, I think I am. Mm-hmm. Am I comfortable? Can I can I be doing any more without putting myself in a place where I'm not comfortable with how aggressive I'm being or how, yeah. and I, I feel like I've, probably got the balance right but I think it's not an easy it's not an easy line to tread I think if someone can say that though that's actually probably more of a reflection of how much they don't know like if you can do you know what I mean like if you if you think you know enough that you can move forward maybe you can do like the next step but there's still going to be so much more that you need to know Mm -hmm. yeah and I I think there's a big difference between, you know, when it comes to like this resonant branding that I'm developing, I think there's a big difference between an entrepreneur who, you know, doesn't have the budget to spend maybe, you know, maybe they're really bootstrapping or maybe it's a a small craft business or something and they don't have thousands of pounds to invest in their branding and maybe that's not representative of a good investment for them. And maybe the stakes aren't quite as high as something like this villa in the Caribbean, which is is going for multiple tens of thousands of pounds a week. Mm. So like, we, <laughs> yeah. right. And what they're spending with me is a drop in the ocean. Um, I, I think it's really important that they have the support and the yes. insights to do that and move forwards. 
but I think there's a big difference between that and maybe a brand designer who is scratching the surface with all the free stuff and then saying you need I create resonant brands like I think that's where we need to be a bit careful if if that doesn't sound too spiky No, no, I I completely agree. And I have to think like my trajectory, I had no money to invest in my business at the very beginning. Yeah. And, but lots of uh, scrappiness and desire to to learn. And and I learned so heavily on those free resources enough to get my foot in the door and kind of get myself started. And then once my business was successful enough, I then returned to spend that money with those people who had helped Mm -hmm. me down the line. And, you know, it was sometimes, sometimes it was years later, but it's, Mm -hmm. you do, you sow those seeds and you don't necessarily get to choose as the business owner when the crop is ready, kind of. I think that's it, isn't it? And um, one of the things that's not very easy for me to see is, uh, which I need to kind of work on is what proportion of people that take a free seminar with me go on to buy something later down the line because it's not you're like you say it's not going to be a two-day later yeah. process for lots of people for yeah, some it's it will be tracked like with a cookie is it no but i wish it was <laughs> yeah, five year cookie. You, you can get them you can get like really like hardcore data from like really long term but it's quite a, an interesting so i know, I know. not me i don't I'm not, I'm not advocating for that yeah. but you can't it is it does exist i i think the best we can do is a little box that's like when was the very first time you heard of me well and i can tell you if you know i i started reading your blog years and years ago and then i did elevate yeah two Something, years I don't ago know, it's all a blur but um yeah, yeah. Like, and I did yeah. color psychology and yeah I think that's the thing and also you did you go from literally blog reader spending no, no. money to elevate which no, is a I went, big I did uh color psychology and then I got it the media kit first. one and then I got yeah. the artisan brand I'm just like hardcore Fiona yeah. Humberstone like yeah. buying things <laughs> like, so, oh, no. yeah, and then I did elevate <laughs> but you get a real you get a real mix because I manually enroll people in Elevate so I can see what they've done. And some people like you will have, oh, sorry, I've forgotten, but like some people like you will have taken multiple courses. There are some people that have taken every single course and seminar I've ever put out. And then there are people who have been lurking since 2015 and have suddenly gone and done Elevate, which is one of my biggest programs. Um and so, you know, to go back to your question about do I feel like I'm putting out too much stuff, I think you have to be authentic to who you are and you have to be comfortable with what you're putting out there and you have to trust that it will come back at some point. Yeah, I agree. And that's easier in the good times <laughs> than in the challenging yeah, ones. Yeah, um, and that the copycats are always going to be behind, like intrinsically if they have to look to what you're doing in order to create what they're creating they're never going to be able to get ahead it just doesn't work yeah I mean I do I do take if someone is monetizing stuff that I've put out there that then I you know that's a different issue isn't it I guess yeah yeah yeah, I'm not I'm not quite so generous and and um easygoing with (laughs) with that side of it no Um, and but unfortunately like that that will happen if it's going to happen and not putting your work out there is not the way well it's just damn it generally it's just it's clipping my wings isn't it not anybody else's yeah exactly 
yeah so you have to still just share and and trust that you'll be able to deal with it yeah and I think yeah exactly we need to end on a positive note where can we go from from people will steal your work it's inevitable (laughs) I think one of the things that I have valued most about learning from you for, for years now as a as a reader of your blog I would say as well as in your mm-hmm. courses is that one your sense of you have such a razor sharp clarity of how you want to show up um, how you want to deliver the work that you you share and about investing your time where you want to invest it and I think that that's maybe something that would be encouraging to others as well like when they're feeling pulled in all these different directions even on Substack, there's chat there's notes there's threads there's posts there's audio video podcast whatever um it's maybe nice to hear from you know about from someone about showing up where they where the energy is and where they feel lit up and and what you would say to that yeah I think you know for me and thank you for that was a <laughs> lovely thing to say um for me inspiration along with generosity is like it, and creativity they're core values for me personally and I just don't do anything that I feel like I should do you know like the Mm. the sensible business thing to do would be to do substack on Tuesdays and uh blog on Wednesdays and write my email newsletter on Fridays you know but I don't think I would have the connection and the engagement or be able to produce the quality of work that I do if I was to do that interesting um I'm really lucky actually with this this Caribbean clients they're just amazing they're like the dream clients and you know with them I've I've set time scales but also they've been really lovely because they've been really sort of immediate with the all the clarity and the strategy and and all the atmosphere and the spirit and we're at a point now where we're ready to move on to the creative side of things and um, I've said to them, look, I'm going to start on this and I might have something to show you before Christmas. I might not, but I'm not going to show you anything until it's until I'm thrilled with it. Mm. Um, and I'm really lucky in that they are just going with that because I know that when I get into my flow, it will just come together. Um, and that you so can't I, necessarily choose when that flow. Well, I think you can set up the conditions for it. Mm. And that certainly doesn't mean that I'm kind of wafting about <laughs> in the woods. No, you don't, you don't do that. <laughs> <Monday morning. Okay. laughs> you do you. <laughs> it will be very on <laughs> um, But yeah, I think... I think you have to, you know, my whole thing is built on me doing my best work, isn't it? And showing up with inspiration and creativity and passion for what I do. And so I I just can't imagine doing anything because I had to do it. Mm. It's funny, we did a previous episode with um, my friend who's an illustrator, Helen Stevens, and she said something really similar that as soon as she tells herself she has to do something, Oh, just yeah, yeah, I think it's that. And I, and, you know, just on a really practical level and Keely probably would have heard me say this before. I always create myself false deadlines. Does that work for you? Yeah, for me, it really does. I cannot do things um, 
I don't do my best work under immediate pressure. And that's mm. the polar opposite of Elizabeth. Elizabeth loves to work right up to a deadline and skid into it. <laughs> um, I need to know that I have finished what I'm I'm doing like a day or two before it's due. I, I want to be that person so much, but a false deadline, my brain is like, it's not real, Sarah. You yeah, really but I think it do does it. depend on your neurotype as well and how you work best. Definitely, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But I just tend to be like a rabbit in headlights on a real deadline. Yeah, yeah. So I would rather set, you know, we had this thing in my design agency where we would always promise work to a client for Monday and you know no if you think about it from a client's point of view if you know your brand identity is coming over on monday you're looking forward to it all day yeah um one it doesn't create a great impression if it comes through at six o'clock on monday <laughs> yes you kind of want it at nine ten o'clock on monday that that you know it's going to land in a totally different way if it feels cobbled together in last minute. Mm. So, so we would, we would always promise it for Monday, which meant that it had to be finished for Friday. So before we closed down for the weekend, it had to be finished, which meant that we had a team meeting, <clears throat> excuse me, Thursday morning to review the work with me. So I wasn't doing the day-to-day. -day. I had a studio manager and I was the creative director. So I would review everything with a fresh pair of eyes Thursday morning. And what was great was because I could I hadn't poured my own blood, sweat and tears into the design. It was either good enough to go to the client or it wasn't. Mm. And if it wasn't, I could phone them or Ian could phone them on a Thursday morning and say, look, we've just had our team meeting. It's coming together beautifully, but we need a bit more time. Yes. That was a really positive thing. Now, as you all know from your own experience, Sarah, deadlines being pushed don't yes. look great. They don't bring you that feeling of confidence and momentum and joy <laughs> in what you're doing. <laughs> so clients respond really well. If you're proactively saying to them, look, it's not the standard we wanted it to be. We're going to spend a couple more days on it, if that's OK, and we'll we'll come back to you when it's ready. And that, saying that three or four days in advance rather than on the day. Saying that on Tuesday morning. Oh, well, it just wasn't ready. I didn't want to send it to you if it wasn't perfect. No, it's no, so totally different. And it, even that is branding, I guess. Right. Like it's how you post them. You it's the client experience, isn't yeah. it? And it's. It's their perception of your capability and your professionalism and yeah. and your ability to deliver. Like, it's a creative thing. Things don't always run smoothly, but I think we can really manage things better mm. um, just in terms of, yeah, setup. And, uh, and it makes it more fun, actually, for the team as well if they aren't under that insane pressure. So I kind of learned that sort of false deadline thing of, you know, it's going to be ready for Thursday. And if it's not ready for Thursday, it's going to be ready for Friday. But either way, it's going to be ready before we promise the client. I like that. And that's that's a different way of approaching false deadlines, actually. That makes much more sense to my brain than just yeah. arbitrary, okay. arbitrary, like Wednesday. But <laughs> even though I know it's, you know, the following Tuesday. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And also the other thing was we would, 
look again at nine o'clock on Monday morning and go, are we thrilled with it? Do we want to make a couple more tweaks before we send it out at 10? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that reflection is another way of reminding your brain that this isn't fake. This is part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. And And then the results, I guess, reinforce it. Yeah. Just fresh pair of eyes. Love that. Fiona, where can people find more from you online? Because they're going to want to, I guarantee, after listening. Oh, thank you. Well, I do have a Substack, which hopefully you're (laughs) going to encourage me to start again, Um, which I think is just the Brand Stylist Substack. Um, My website is thebrand-stylist.com. And I also have this lovely, burgeoning, huge um, academy full of seminars and courses and programs and the free seminars as well which is thebrandstylistacademy.com. Amazing. Um, and so, your books, yeah. of course, as well. There's, I think there's actually a hundred, which is insane. Wow. And I mean, some of that will be me duplicating Elevate because I've done it seven times now. So, you know, there's not necessarily a hundred sort of ongoing. But yeah, between the free conversations, the free seminars, the the short 75 minute seminars and the full on, you know, how to style your brand courses or color psychology for brand designers courses. Yeah, I think there's a hundred. Enough for people to get started with then. Yeah, there's lots to pick (laughs) from. (laughs) Amazing. And thank you again. You've been so generous today. Just oh, it's lovely. It's always lovely to chat to you. And it's lovely to meet you. Yeah, you too. I feel like we've known each other for ages, but yeah, I get get this is (laughs) the first real conversation. It's lovely to chat with you. And thank you. Thank you for for being here and chatting with us and also just for all your work. Um, and all your generosity online you are you are a delight on the internet and it's a rare thing to find so thank you oh thank you here here thank you that's it for our conversation today and we hope you enjoyed it this being a podcast like it's really helpful if you leave us a review in your preferred podcast app but also we'd love to hear from you over on our Substack page you will find the link to that right in your player of choice wherever you're listening or you can search for the Substack soiree and it should be the top google result thank you for joining us today we love connecting with you in the chat make sure you come and say hi and we'll see you well we'll chat with you next time <laughs>